You are listening to the Freedom Fellowship audio podcast from Freedom Fellowship Church in Tontytown, Arkansas. Our mission is to love God, love others, and serve both. And now let's listen in to this week's sermon. Turn to Acts chapter 7. We're getting back to their study of the book of Acts. You can open up your YouTube app on your phone or tablet and be and you can follow along with us. We are attempting a monumental task this morning. We're covering the entire chapter 7 of Acts, which it has over 60 verses in it. So, yeah, Tom does this. But it's going to be exciting, this study. It's one of those that I didn't feel like that we could stop anywhere in this chapter and really get to where things needed to go. So if you would look at First Peter chapter 3 verses 14 through 15 is this sets the stage, this passage that Peter writes about. But even if you suffer for doing what is right, God will reward you for it. So don't worry or be afraid of their threats. Instead, you must worship Christ as Lord of your life. And if someone asks you about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. The New American Standard Version says this, but sanctify, in verse 15, but sanctify Christ as your Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, but in, with gentleness and respect. I think as we look at this verse, we see Stephen. And we see how Stephen will address the issues that the Sanhedrin accuses him of. And we need to be able, we need to, be able to explain what we believe. And I think that's, that's a major issue with most of us. We believe in Jesus. We believe that He is the Son of God. We believe those things, that He is the Messiah, He is the Savior, but can we explain what we believe to someone else? Can we articulate that? And that's what this passage in 1 Peter is talking about, that we be ready to talk about the hope we have as a believer. And what hinders us is our own inhibitions. I'm shy, I don't like talking about those things to people. But it's not about you. It's about Jesus. And it's not going to be on your own merit. We pray to be filled with the Spirit and let the Spirit do that for us. And that's what we're going to see with Stephen. And here we go, verse 1, Acts chapter 7. And the high priest asked Stephen, are these accusations true? See, this high priest was more likely... Caiaphas, the same one who Jesus went before in his trial. Matthew chapter 26, verse 57. And so the high priest asked or invited Stephen to defend himself because in chapter 6, verse 11 through 14, we see in verse 11 that some, so they persuaded, that is the Sanhedrin, the religious leaders, they persuaded some men to lie about Stephen, saying, We heard him blaspheme Moses and even God. 
So Stephen was accused of four blasphemous words. He, he was accused of speaking against Moses, accused of speaking against God, accused of speaking against the law, and accused of speaking against the temple. This is very pertinent to what is going to happen because Stephen is going to address all these charges against him. And he starts out in verse 2 by making sure they understand that he knows who God is. He says in verse 2, this was Stephen's reply. Brothers and fathers, listen to me. Our glorious God appeared to our ancestor Abraham in Mesopotamia before he settled in Haran. Other versions, such as the American Standard, say the, the God of glory. Now, this particular phrase used to describe God is recorded only in one other place in Scripture, and that's in Psalm chapter 29, verses 1 through 3. The, the God of glory, or the glorious God. Stephen shows right here, he knows Scripture. And he knows this, the, the guys he's standing in front of, they're supposed to know Scripture as well. So he lays it right out there out front that he is not blasphemed God. He has given him the ultimate compliment that he is the God of glory. And in verse 3, God told him, leave your native land and your relatives and come to the land I will show you. Then he goes on to explain verses 4 through 5 how God instructed Abraham to leave and he's going to the promised land. In verses 6 through 8, God tells Abraham about something that's going to happen to his descendants, and that's in verse 6. And God told him that his descendants would live in a foreign land where they would be oppressed as slaves for 400 years. That's important because of where Stephen is going to go in his sermon to these guys. And he goes on and talks about in the verses 7 through 8 how God gave Abraham a covenant. And the covenant of circumcision. And he goes on talking about Abraham became the father of Isaac. And then Isaac became the father of Jacob. And then Jacob became the father of the patriarchs. The twelve tribes were named after these patriarchs. So that moves Stephen now. He, he's going through history of Israel somewhat and he goes to Joseph in verse 9 and these patriarchs were jealous of their brother Joseph and they sold him to be a slave in Egypt but God was with him and rescued him from all his troubles and God gave him favor before Pharaoh king of Egypt and God also gave Joseph unusual wisdom so that the Pharaoh appointed him governor over all of Egypt and put him in charge of the palace. What Stephen is doing here with Joseph, now he's talked about God, now he's talking about Joseph, but that's going to lead to Moses. What he's doing here is presenting a parallel between Joseph and Jesus. And he's telling them that the very person that God selected to be the deliverer of the Israelites will be rejected by the patriarchal leaders. His brothers. He will be rejected. The one that God selected was rejected. 
by his own brothers. Stephen is establishing a pattern. He's telling them, your fathers did this. They were against Joseph. They were against the one that God sent to deliver them. And Joseph was rejected by his own brothers. And he's going to point out that Jesus was rejected by his brothers. There's an analogy here. And he goes on in verses 11 through 14 and talks about that when Joseph was in a position of authority to help deliver his people, his brothers came to him seeking help, not knowing who he was. See, the brothers didn't know who he was until Joseph revealed himself to his brothers. Jesus did the same. And it was not until the second visit that the brothers had with Joseph that they acknowledge who he was as he revealed himself to them. And Jesus will be acknowledged by all when he returns on his second visit. That will happen. In verse 15 through 16, Jacob went to Egypt. He died there as did our ancestors. And then he moves on to verse 17, and he's going to the life of Moses. Now, remember, Stephen is preaching. He's teaching to a group of men who were supposed to be scholars of Scripture. They knew these stories. They knew these things. But Stephen is pointing out things that they don't normally talk about, such as, the rejection that the messenger of God had. And it's going to get a lot deeper and a whole lot more pointed as Stephen goes along. So he begins in verse 17. As the time drew near when God will fulfill his promise to Abraham, the number of our people in Egypt greatly increased. But then a new king came to the throne of Egypt who knew nothing about Joseph. And the king exploited our people and oppressed them by forcing the parents to abandon their newborn babies so they would die. Think about it. Moses was pre-selected to deliver the people. God had told Abraham in his promise of a covenant that the people would be in slavery for 400 years. And this is before there was a nation of Israel. Before Abraham even had a son. That God is telling what's going to happen. Moses is going to be the one to be the deliverer. Satan knows these things. He knows these things. So Satan is into the heart of Pharaoh. And Pharaoh makes a decree. That all Israelite male babies should die. Fast forward to when Jesus came in the form of a baby. King Herod decreed that all male babies of the Hebrew should die. Satan did not want a deliverer of God's people. He tried to stop it with Joseph and get into the hearts of his own brothers. They sell him, throw him in a pit thinking we're, Satan, he's 
thinking he's done. I don't have to worry about Joseph. And you move forward to the time of Moses. Satan doesn't want Moses to even become to the age where he could help deliver the people. So babies are killed there. But Moses is rescued and he's raised by the daughter of Pharaoh as one of her own. You know the story of how Moses' mother put him in a basket into the Nile. And he was found. But then he spent 40 years as an Egyptian. In verse 22, Moses was taught all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was powerful in both speech and action. Moses was raised as an Egyptian. But he had been nursed by his own mother. Had been around his people. And it's in verse 23. One day when Moses was 40 years old, he decided to visit his relatives, the people of Israel. He saw an Egyptian mistreating an Israelite. So Moses came to the man's defense and avenged him, killing the Egyptian. Moses assumed his fellow Israelites would recognize that God had sent him to rescue them, but they didn't. See, this is Moses' first attempt to help the Israelites. But he's doing it on his own initiative. And the next day, he visited them again and saw two men of the Israel fighting. And he tried to be a peacemaker. And men, he said, you are brothers. Why are you fighting each other? But the man in the wrong pushed Moses aside and said, who made you ruler and judge over us? He asked. Are you going to kill me? as you killed that Egyptian yesterday. When Moses heard that, he fled the country and lived as a foreigner in the land of Midian. There his two sons were born. Well, the life of Moses, it can be divided in sections of 40 years. The first 40 years, Moses was trained in all the wisdom and education of the Egyptians. The second 40 years of his life, God took him to the wilderness to show him he was nothing. And then the third 40 years, God shows Moses that he can take nothing and make something out of it. Look at Hebrews chapter 11, verse 24 through 27. This is, this is something that is, that is recorded here in the book of Hebrews that just grabs my attention. In this chapter of faith, but I want you to pay attention something that is said about Moses. Verse 24 of Hebrews 11, It was by faith that Moses, when he grew up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Now, look at this in verse 25. This is one of those places to highlight or underline your Bible. He chose to share the oppression of God's people instead of enjoying the fleeting pleasures of sin. He thought it was better to suffer for the sake of Christ than his own treasures of Egypt, for he was looking ahead to his own great reward. Moses chose to share the oppression. He flees Egypt because of that choice. And he thought it was better to suffer than to own all of Egypt. Verse 27, it was by faith that Moses left the land of Egypt, not fearing the king's anger, 
And he kept right on going because he kept his eyes on the one who is invisible. Moses made a choice. He went about it his own way, but he made a choice. And God was going to teach him for 40 years. So, verse 30. 40 years later in the desert near Mount Sinai, an angel appeared to Moses in the flame of a burning bush. And we know that an angel... It, he appears to him and he says in verse 32, I am the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And then the Lord told him, take off your sandals for this ground is holy. Verse 34, I have certainly seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. I have heard their groans and have come down to rescue them. Now go for I am sending you back to Egypt. Stephen is emphasizing the main point that God in all his glory is not contained in a temple. Matter of fact, God didn't ask his people to build a temple out of stone. He gave his permission for Solomon to do that, but it was, he didn't command that. He had them in a tent. He had the Ark of a Covenant. They chose to build the temple. So here in verse 35, so God sent back the man his people had previously rejected. Again, they rejected him the first time. And when they demanded, who made you ruler and judge over us? Say that again. Though the angel appeared to him in the burning bush, God sent Moses to be their ruler and savior. And by means of many wonders and miraculous signs, he led them out of Egypt through the Red Sea and through the wilderness for 40 years. And we know that during this journey, there was rejection over and over again to Moses' leadership by the people, by the Israelites. And God would prevail over and over again and keep Moses in that position. And then again in verse 37, Moses himself told the people of Israel, God will raise up for you a prophet like me among your own people. See, this, this is a verse that is prophesying the coming of Jesus. And, Je- and, and Stephen's message was very plain as he's presenting this to the Sanhedrin. You have rejected Jesus who is like Moses, yet he's greater than Moses. And you deny that Jesus has any right to be a ruler or a judge over you. That's what they would say to Jesus when he was in his ministry. So the pattern here, the pattern that Stephen is establishing is that Israel has always rejected its prophets and deliverers. They always have. Luke 11, verse 47 through 48. Jesus says this. What sorrow awaits you for you build monuments for the prophets your ancestors killed long ago. But in fact, you stand as witnesses who agree with what your ancestors did. They killed prophets and you join in their crime by building the monuments. This is at the, out of the Jesus' mouth. 
And what Stephen is doing is telling the council, you're following the same suit as your ancestors. You have killed the deliverer. You have killed and murdered the prophet that God had sent, just as you had others. This is the importance of this sermon. It's a long chapter and a lot of verses, but it has a point to it. Stephen has revealed the hearts of these people. Verse 38, God was with our ancestors, the assembly of God's people in the wilderness, when the angels spoke to him on Mount Sinai. And there Moses received the life-giving words to pass on to us, the law, that he was accused of blaspheming. But here he's talking about the law. And he says it was life-giving words. But our ancestors refused to listen to Moses, and they rejected him on a return to Egypt. So they told Aaron, let us build gods. And we know that they went and built a golden calf. But Stephen goes on to talk about, in verse 42 and 43, the gods that they were actually wanting to worship. And Molech was a god in which people would sacrifice their newborn babies to. That's how serious this offense was to God that they were doing. And most of us don't know about that kind of background or those, those foreign gods like that. But this is what Stephen is bringing to their attention. And God turned away from him in verse 42 and abandoned them to serve the stars in heaven their gods. In the book of prophets it is written, Was it to me you were bringing sacrifices and offerings during those 40 years in the wilderness of Israel? No, you carried your pagan gods. And we're going to talk about the gods that they're worshiping. Then Stephen picks up in verse 44, says, Our ancestors carried the tabernacle with them through the wilderness, and it was constructed according to the plan that God has shown to Moses. And he goes on to talk about how Joshua would carry this tabernacle as he was leading the tribe. And then it went to David. In verse 46, and David found favor with God and asked for the privilege of building a permanent temple for the God of Jacob. And God said no, but he said yes to Solomon. So, in verse 48, Stephen makes this statement. Now he's talking about the temple. However, the Most High doesn't live in temples made with human hands, as the prophet says. He quotes Amos. Heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. Could you build me a temple as good as that? Asked the Lord, could you build me such a resting place? Didn't my hands make both heaven and earth? So Stephen is making his point that the emphasis that these Sanhedrin leaders put on the temple is not what God wanted them to do. They put it on the physical building and not on the people. So, what Stephen does here in verse 51, he gets to the end of what he is talking about. He has explained to them his belief. He was ready to explain. He had been preaching in the courtyards of the temple and in the temple. And now he is telling them 
exactly where they are with their hearts. Verse 51. You stubborn people. Some versions say stiff-necked. You are heathen at heart and deaf to the truth. You must forever, must you forever resist the Holy Spirit? That's what your ancestors did, and so do you. You are heathen at heart and deaf to the truth. Name one prophet your ancestors didn't persecute, he says. Name one. Well, see, the Sanhedrin prided themselves on their history. But there were negative parts to the history they didn't want to acknowledge. Because they thought themselves as being all righteous and all perfect. But what Stephen is doing here is what Jesus did to them. Call them out for who they were and what they were. Name one prophet your ancestors didn't persecute. They even killed the ones predicted the coming of the righteous one. The Messiah who you betrayed and who you killed. You deliberately disobeyed God's law even though you received it from the hands of angels. That's bold. But it was true. Don't compromise the truth and don't compromise what you believe in. Be able to explain the hope you have. Be ready to explain the love you have for Jesus Christ. Stephen is doing that right here. Twenty times in the Old Testament, God called Israel stiff-necked or stubborn. Twenty times. And here Stephen is doing it. He has used Scripture to teach the truth about their rejection of God's leaders throughout the ages. So in verse 54, the reaction of these leaders, the Jewish leaders were infuriated by Stephen's accusation and they shook their fists at him in rage and they began gnashing their teeth at him. Gnashing of teeth. This rage, this is a preview of hell. A place of nothing but rage, torment, and the gnashing of teeth. These guys were so full of Satan that they were going to destroy this servant of Jesus. Keep him from teaching any more of the truth. In verse 55, But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed steadily into heaven and saw the glory of God, and he saw Jesus standing in the place of honor at God's right hand. Notice, Jesus is standing at the right hand of God and not sitting. Other passages we read refer to Jesus sitting on the throne. Why is he standing? 
And Stephen said this, and he told them, verse 56, Look, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing in the place of honor at God's right hand. Jesus is standing because he is welcoming. He got up from the throne and he's welcoming Stephen home. And they put their hands over their ears and began shouting and they rushed at him, verse 57, and they dragged him out of the city and they began to stone him. And his accusers took off their coats and laid them at the feet of a young man named Saul. And this young man named Saul we would later know as Paul. But see, Paul stood there like a supervisor of the stoning. He was a member of the Sanhedrin. He was one of those who was full of rage and gnashed his teeth and shouted at Stephen. And as they stoned him, verse 59, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And as he fell on his knees, he was looking at Jesus standing the right hand of God and said, Lord, don't charge him with this sin. And with that, he died. And it brings back to verse 8 of chapter 6. It gives us a description of Stephen. And Stephen, full of grace and power, was performing great wonders and signs amongst the people. See, he was full of grace and he was full of power of the Holy Spirit because of his unrelenting faith in Jesus. The biggest enemy we have is ourselves. We either surrender, as we sang about not long ago. We surrender our will to His. Or we keep fighting to hold on to our will. And allow Satan to convince us we don't need to turn loose of our own will. Stephen, you say, well, I, I can't be. Yes, you can. You can be like Stephen. If you truly submit everything and allow the Holy Spirit to fully take over our will, then we would be that one who is full of power and grace because of what the Holy Spirit is doing in our life. What a powerful sermon that Stephen preached here. If you just read it without stopping, it takes you about 10 minutes to read through the whole thing. But what power is released on these guys? But if we don't succumb to Jesus and if we don't surrender to Jesus, we're rejecting. We are rejecting the deliverer just as they did. Quit rejecting and surrender. I have to surrender daily. It's not a one time, excuse me, one time thing. It's daily. Daily. Let us pray. As I pray, I ask the worship team to come up. Father God, you are the God of glory. And Father, you are just so powerful, so wonderful, words can, can't describe what you are. But you have shown us time and time again, you provide, you provide a way out. You provide a way out of the sin problem. You have provided a way 
to get away from Satan. You have given us Jesus. You have given us your Holy Spirit. Father, we pray that no one here will reject the deliverer that is Jesus Christ. And this morning, Father, we pray that hearts are open to your Spirit to move in their heart. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name. If you, if you are led by the Spirit to surrender, we have those who will pray with you here. Dennis is on this side. Tom is here in the middle. I'll be down on this side. Nate's in the back. We have people here who will pray with you, work with you to get through this time of surrender. But don't reject the deliverer any longer. No longer. Today is the day. Please stand and sing. Thank you so much for listening to the Freedom Fellowship audio podcast. We are located at 990 West Henry de Tonti Boulevard in Tontytown, Arkansas. You can check us out on the web at freedomfellowship.com or you can find us on social media by searching Freedom Fellowship NWA. We hope you have a great week and that you live out the mission of the church, which is to love God, love others, and serve both.